3: Welcome to the Be Sotted podcast. This is, believe it or not, the third main podcast of this new season um another eventful week another eventful week it's shaping up to be apart from the eventful weekend um we are gathered here again in the Prince Belusha in Twickenham I think we have to move venue soon um but with me again is the regular crew plus a I was going to say a newbie I was going to say a podcast virgin but in fact I'll introduce you first Dan Sue. You were on the first Besotted podcast back in October last year when against Reading at home. So this is this is your second, no, your second. I think it is yes. So um, I'll, I'll come back round. So we've got Martin Holland, the Dutchman, is with us again tonight. We've got Nick Carthew, Liberal Nick, and we've got Matt Allard and myself, Dave Lane. So there's another five some here, um, ready to just jaw Brentford for the next hour or so. Um, we're also going to speak to Ijo Anderson, who I've just conducted an interview with on the phone um, Some fascinating thoughts from Ijo, who's a Brentford legend I'll introduce him again in a minute And Bill Grant interviewed Jamie Smith from No Nay Never Which is the Burnley podcast, so obviously we're playing Burnley at the weekend So let's go round the table Dan, welcome back again, as I said um, I understand you bumped into a Brentford manager last night at AFC Wimbledon
0: Yeah, well, thanks uh, very much for having me, first of all, and uh, yeah, um, basically, um, uh, I'd uh, met Marinus last night, Um, he was with another uh, Dutch journalist, and um, uh, I've got to be honest, it was really, really pleasant to be able to spend a bit of time with him, Um, you actually, it was a very informal atmosphere, so I was able to um, get to know him a bit, um, realise uh, you know what he's passionate about. Um, he's um, he, he's also an incredibly down-to-earth person, um, and it's somebody who, um, if you spend about five ten minutes of your time with, um, you you just grow to like him. He's an incredibly likable character. Um, he was there with Roy Henriksen, his assistant. Um, there's very clear. There's a an extrovert character um, in Roy, and there's also the introverted character in uh, Marinus. So just completely impressed by them, completely impressed by their passion for the game, um, for their new job, um, they're telling me about how many hours they're putting in at the moment and, um, and also I think the thing that really grabbed me was that Marinas were saying that there really wasn't any other job in England that he would be interested in um, other than Brentford uh, because of the vision that Matthew Benham and the club is um, going towards it's something he really bought into because he's so happy at Excelsior, um, and I thought that was a nice little touch to hear that from um, our new manager.
1: All good,
3: all good. So Dutchman, how's your how's your weekend? How's your, how's your week?
1: Choking up? Uh, week weekend was good. Thanks, Tony Good evening, everybody. All um, usual interesting things to talk about today. Um, I wasn't at the, the Bristol match on on Saturday, oh, loyal. so you'll you'll Doyle, you'll so you'll get more enlightened comments from my friends around my table than myself was maybe not
4: <laughs> or maybe you might prefer my abridged yeah. version of course Nick. so you were at Bristol City at the weekend absolutely I thought we were lucky on Saturday but we'll come back to that um, and I keep hitting the refresh button to see whether or not that we really are getting an extortionate amount of money for an English player but uh, good luck to Bristol City and uh, we'll come on to it but you know how on earth they can afford to pay £9 million, I want to know. I, I want to know the secret of their accountancy. We will certainly be talking about that.
3: We will certainly be talking about that. Uh, Matt, you were at Ashton Gate the weekend. It was a pretty good
5: day out, wasn't it? Yeah, it was... Um, Lively. It li- was <laughs> some liveliness. Um, in terms of the game, it was. Um, yeah, we, we learned a little bit more. I don't think we learned a whole lot. Um, Although you can only beat what's out there in front of you.
3: So Brentford came away from Ashton Gate with a pretty pretty famous 4-2 victory. Um, first half though, there were some defensive frailties. We, you know, we talked about it and in, uh, in a, the aftermatch po- podcast. Um, but I think we need to revisit this. You know, second half down they were down to 10 men. Um sending off that I think even Steve Cottrell would even admit was a sending off now. Um, Dutchman we still have to strengthen up in the back don't we
1: yeah as I said earlier I I wasn't at that game I can only talk about how I saw it and what I've seen before but watching the goals as you do and probably spend more time sober watching it um, when you're not at the game the goals were again silly goals to let in you know and the bits that I've seen on on the website there's still the same old mistakes happening again and again and making mistakes we never used to make as we keep saying the ball over the top slowness to turn wrong side of the man and basic not marking from a corner so we need to strengthen at the back there's there's clearly issues there that need addressing um, which I guess some of the new personnel were brought in to do but at the moment we're seeing the the existing personnel and I expect to see changes at some point with the new signing on the right and the various other options that we have
3: Dan you know um, we we saw injuries to Dean which was obviously led to their sending off then we had um, an elbow to uh, Taki's n- n- nose, which his nose is pretty much splattered all over his face, like a bit of a drinker's nose, it would look like now. Um, and um, But O'Connell came on the second half. He, he, he had a dodgy five or ten minutes, and then he, he looked he looked like comfortable in that position. You know, do we, do we need to look at the first half in any more detail
0: or do we just kind of, like,
6: park it? Um, I think we're
0: we'll working work in progress because um, there are clearly some slightly different new ideas that are coming on board from Marinus and the defence is going to have to slightly adjust. We've lost Moses, so Alan Mack is, um, I suppose, standing right back. Um, Harley Dean, um, we all know that he's got a heart of gold um, and there's no doubt that he's... Um, You know, somebody who I would always try and put in the first team. (coughs) James Tarkowski, I've got slight issues over. I think um, he looks um, slightly overweight, out of shape, um, not as sharp as perhaps um, you want him to be, because we know he can be a cracking player. So when you've got, um, in effect, a weaker defence, and also bearing in mind that the midfield actually just totally disappeared for their first goal, and... Poor marking for their second goal. I think that, on the whole, that give us some time. The defence will start to gel together. Got a new right back coming in, um, so um, and, and when, with the O'Connell coming in on um, Saturday, I thought we looked a lot um, sharper. Alan Max certainly races going for the second half. So I don't think it's panic stations at the moment. Um, I think the defence is going to just get better I felt
3: a bit sorry for Mac uh, uh, because he, he, he didn't have an awful game but they, they, they literally put two on him it, it, was, it was almost like an, a no win situation for him
0: yeah I mean everyone's going to look at Alan Mac and realise that he's not Moses and so they're going to see him and try and exploit his weaknesses which is his um, lack of pace um, but ultimately for me I'd, I'd rather see Alan Mac in the middle of the park um, I think he's a lot uh, better there and you don't need the pace there um, but overall um, we've got the new right back signing so that's pretty obvious that Alan Mack's not first choice right back um, the big thing that I'm really impressed with is going back to O'Connell um, O'Connell's a young lad um, he's he, he's probably um, a, a year behind some of the uh, more established uh, centre backs potentially but I think he's going to be the surprise signing I think he's the one who's going to try and um, get a first team place I, I can see him uh, playing on the last day of the season
3: I hope so because I mean, he arrived in January we didn't didn't know much about him, and we didn't see a lot of him. But you know, now he's back. He, he really, you know, he's already making an impact. Matt, um, you were at Ashton Gate. What did you? What, you know, it, it was a tale of two halves. What did you make of the match?
5: Um, the goals, I thought. I think probably both of them are avoidable. The first goal, as has already been referred to by Dan, um, the midfield sort of disappeared. Uh, individually, I think Kirschbaumer made. It looked very lightweight, um, then Toombs and Judge both had challenges that didn't, certainly didn't get anywhere close to winning the ball. Um, and McCormack was charging back, trying to as quick as he could, and not, and not quick enough. Um, probably, I, I'd say probably Moses would have got a foot in. But, but you know, there you go. I don't, you know, I don't want to criticise McCormack especially because I think he did everything he could. he, he looked like the guy that spotted what was going to happen and was. You know, and was, and was charging back, <laughs> trying to stop it, whilst you know the central defenders ended up virtually together, yeah. almost holding hands. Um, the second goal, um, you, you know, McCormack was—I think he was uh, near. No, Hoffman was near post, McCormack, and the guy just drifted in between the two of them. Um, I don't know which one of them should have been marking him. I imagine one of them should have, unless we zone zonal, But I haven't looked at defending corners enough to to be sure on that one. Nick, ne- what? Um, did you make
3: the sending off? It, seemed, it was it was it was more contentious than it, it, it was because it was a clear sending off.
4: It. it was a clear sending off. I've I've actually only seen the still photographs. I haven't actually seen any of the video of the sending off. And you look at the still photographs, and it's quite clear that the guy was you know trying to take Harley's head off. And I mean, it wasn't an, it wasn't an, uh, wasn't an issue uh, about that. And Cottrell can 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 go and jump about it. Um, I think I agree with Dan about O'Connell. I was really impressed with him on Saturday. Um, and actually, I, the other thing is I'm quite excited by the fact that if we can have Colin playing at um, right back, I think we've got to find a place for McCormack in midfield. Because actually, McCormack really did do a good... Um, you know, that, that that centre midfield, you know, battler. I mean... You need somebody to stick the foot in. And I think McCormack, McCormack did, a, did a bit of that. And the one thing I would say is that we all sort of said, well, we were lucky in the first half, and we were. But actually, a 4-2 result against a 10-man team, it's not easy playing 10 men. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, and you know, Bristol City, they're, 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 they're not going to be a pushover. i I don't think they're going to challenge for promotion this season. Um, but they they necessarily going to go down. And um, playing ten men is always difficult. And we did a clinical job on them and got the full well. I, the I, I think you're spot on. And playing ten men should always be more
3: difficult than, than that. And especially when when someone you know you're away from home. And I think Marinus, in, in, in his kind of like really refreshing way, he he says it as he was after you know straight after the game. His tactic, he, he came in and said, right, we need to we need to kick balls. Wing to wing and, and just wear them out, you know, and that's and that's literally what we did. We kept we kept ball really well. I think, you know, I thought, and I said this in the post match podcast. I thought we
5: looked like, a, a, you know, a fairly established championship team on Saturday. Um, second half, uh, definitely. I thought. I mean, the last was it the last six or seven minutes? I think there were two um, bits of play where we didn't give the ball away for three minutes, and, it, and I know we all say, yeah, ten man, but I kind of agree with Nick. Um, I don't know what the stats say, but um, winning against 10 men isn't always obviously going to happen to me, just as, you know, last season we had a brilliant performance against Birmingham when we went down to 10 men and got equalised at Um back. So, you know, that wasn't easy. So, yeah, I, I think we settled more in the second half. I think it's about, I think it's settling. Yeah. I mean, it's, and to me, a lot of it's about balance. Um, and I've I said this before, and I, and I, and I, I like centre-backs when you've got one who's right-footed and one who's left-footed. And O'Connell came in and gave us that and suddenly there was a bit of calmness around the back four was the the way I saw it.
3: I thought that was a big highlight. I thought the second highlight was um, the Hoff's goal, the fourth goal. He
0: took that goal brilliantly. Um, Undoubtedly. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind that um, as a lone striker up there, he offers something very, very different. Um, The way that he held the ball up, um, his touches, his awareness of his teammates... Um, I thought it was fantastic and I think that relates a little bit to what Matthew Benham said about not necessarily signing a striker for their goals um, and I thought his link-up play was fantastic. I think he played, um, was it Judge Ian, um to actually get that one-on-one uh, with Ben Hamer, um, I can't remember exactly who it was but the fact is that I, I was just so impressed with his play. But then he cut, cut it off um, in the latter stages with that fantastic finish with his left foot. He rolled his defender fantastically well, so impressed. Um, but the fact is he knows what the goal is and uh, i think well, we'll see a lot more
3: of it i think we're going to have to well, see we're going to have to see, we're gonna have a, lot to see a lot
0: more of it because
3: it would appear that and and we have to bring this up now that you know obviously andre grace scored the, the the third goal and um, the, the us 3-2 three, three, up um that could be probably is his last goal in a Brentford shirt um so we're going to have to get goals from from other places um you know how 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 does how does Andre Gray's performance? You know, is, is that gonna is that is that gonna stick in our throats
1: now to, to see him score and then go to that go to Bristol City? I think from where he spoke previously, the you know, the fact he's gone to Bristol City last week was saying, you know, "Can he do better than Hull?" And this week it's Bristol City, so it still might um, be Hull. It's, it still might be. We, we don't know where he's going to go, and he's obviously come back. You never know what you've got till he's gone. And all that. there's lots of people last year not happy with Gray, and now. People are saying we shouldn't be taking eight or nine million, so it's a strange turnaround. He clearly showed, again, what he can do. Um, He's been a a great player for us in terms of the the step-up in in class and his first season and the fact not only did he step up, but he played up front on his own for most of the season. He's shown it again with his two goals already this season, and we've got to find someone to to replace that. What I liked about the, the Hoffman goal was it's the kind of goal we haven't scored too many of that style over the previous year. You know, lots of our midfielders chipping in from outside, or you know, the Gray one-on-one type situations. It was a nice, a nice finish, and hopefully, we he can add that side to his game. But we do need someone to score some goals.
3: It was a it was a striker's goal. We we are going to talk, you know, we're going to talk more on um, uh, the uh, departure of Andre Gray or the potential departure of Andre Gray in a second. What we're going to do now is we're going to speak to Ijah Anderson. Ija Anderson was was another highlight of my day on Saturday. Right, welcome to Ija Anderson who's joining us on the Besotted podcast tonight. Ija, who on, is, is a proper Brentford legend, Come played on. played two hundred games for the Bees, a great fullback, prolific prolific goal scorer. I won't hear Ija scored one, <laughs> one,
7: one goal in two hundred and one hey. <laughs> games. Uh, hey. I was under strict curfew under
3: them bloody managers back in the day, mate. You know what I mean? Save that, save that, save But then God, like, no, like, God, right. you left, you left Brentford for Swansea, and then you like, single-handedly started their march to the Premier League. Yep. Well, kind of. But um, now, the reason I, the reason Ige is on tonight, apart from being a top man, is that he was at Ashton Gate on Saturday to, to cheer on the bees, and he, he saw firsthand yeah. Marinus Dykehouse and team fight back. So, what, Ige, what, 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 what did you think of the game on Saturday? Well, like I predicted, um, I thought that uh, Bristol
7: looked bright early on. They did look; they did pose us a few problems, but at the same time, I thought that uh, the problems were, obviously, we were all OK going forward, but obviously, when they did break out and done quite a good three moves, where it culminated with the lovely forward, um, the center by were caught more watching at times. Uh, I thought they were watching that, allowed the centre-forward to get in. But saying that, as I said uh, at half-time, that you know the lads and uh, the Gab the, the uh got together, and um, it looked good after that. I mean, they yeah. Got so back into second the game. half,
3: second half really was a different one. I mean, you, yeah. did, you, you being you being a fullback, well they really did identify um, the left hand side, our right back, as, as a weakness, and they, they really did double up on him. And that, yeah, that, they you know, did. That, how, how, in those circumstances, mate, what did you do? You got two coming at well, you. Well, you cope? know what? I, I did.
7: I tell you what. I tell you what. I tell you what. Let me go from there. I thought, during the first half, I thought he would have changed it. I thought the manager was going to change it, go man for man. Go for that one. Because they were always getting out, you see. They were always getting out. And they always seemed to have, you know, got around the outside at times, you know. Or they'd thread the ball through the middle. But when you're (laughs) doubling up, all you can do is, as a fullback, I think you've got to just tell one year midfielders just to sit. Just tuck in and sit. So that obviously when the blue does transfer over... He's got enough legs to just get there, and the Mm. fullback can then obviously push on to the oncoming runner. You see, and that just stops them from going in behind, which causes a danger. Um, You know, the ball (laughs) across the box, uh, and then obviously cross goal.
3: You know. Yeah, but I mean, I mean, it was interesting last week. You know, then on the eve of the game, um, Brentford have gone out and signed uh, a Mm. new right back. um, uh, So so, you know, maybe that will plug a gap. But I mean, you know, from what you saw on Saturday, I mean, were there with their like defensive frailties, is there signs of concern there? Do you think, or I mean, you've watched this fairly um, regularly as the last couple? Yeah, of years.
7: yeah. I thought. Um, I think my own, my concern would be. I thought the centre off came. I mean, he came off with an injury by all means, but at the same time, I just thought um, ball watching. I mean, yeah. that will come. It's still early doors, though. It's still early doors. I mean, the season's still early, and yeah, a lot I mean. of the time, most teams don't get into their side too after that ten games. Yeah. So um, I think that was the only concern. You know, the ball watching. And obviously sitting deep as well. I thought the midfielder needed to be more together because um, at times they did break through the midfield as well. I mean running through and you know, I mean I think a couple of times they did manage to get a shot on goal. A couple of times where the midfielder just kept running with the ball through. You know, yeah. I thought they could. You know, but apart from that, you know, it's still like I said, it's still early, and I, you know, t- for me to be really uh, critical of the team, I think it's too, it's too early at the moment. But. After ten games you can obviously see the shape and obviously this you know, the togetherness, uh the more continuity, the rhythm in the team, it should take shape and there should be more tightness, it should be more fluency in i in, in the side. I think, you know, to be fair, I thought it was a great great display in the second half. And yeah, I will, make, I hope, making, making making you I hope it, you're right, I hope you're right. Yeah, yeah making it's that making that extra man tell. Yeah. Making the extra man tell. And I said half the time just keep passing it, passing it and being patient. And, you know, the opening will come and and, and to be fair it did, you know, because the you know, they they stuck to the actual play of passing, passing and using the, the wide fullbacks as well when they did get a chance to bomb
3: on, you know? You know, well let's let's flip this round, mate. like yeah. you know, on Andre Grey, I mean he mate. once again he proves what a tough cookie he is to defend oh. against. How on earth would you have coached, mate? What what would how would you how would you have dealt with him? Do you know what? I'll tell you what,
7: um, I am, I looked at Andre and, I mean, obviously, I've kind of watched him a few times and uh, I like the way he plays. He's, you know, he's running players. Uh, he works, he does work hard and he, he, he sometimes don't notice that what he's doing but when he does do, you know, his runs, it's very uh, decisive. He knows what he's going to do with the ball. He gets the ball. He rolls the, the defender. He holds it. What I would have done against him, I'm a sort of player that relish really plays against players like that. a strong, that, that will try and run at you that will try and run you. I love that. I love I love challenges. I you, never I share, one, you
3: never share did you, right?
7: I would have launched him in the first half, definitely. I would have, I would have laid one on him first to <laughs> see what a temperament is, right? And then, see what, see what he comes with. But uh, I'm not joking aside. I think he's, uh, he's a tough cookie. I think he's one of the players that you cannot, you know, you can't get under his skin. He just, he's just very focused. He's yeah. just very focused in the game. And uh, for me, he could have easily got frustrated in, in terms of the the, the the service he was getting. Mm. Um, I just thought um, he could have easily have lost it. And, you know, as many forwards i played with, fold the arms up and look at the bench and give it all that one. And, you know, you know, just not really bother after that. But he just kept going, kept going, you know, assist. And he just worked for the team. The team player is also a great individual.
3: It did. That was really important to see that he was able, you know, he was, he was willing to, you know, after the week I and mean, the speculation that he was willing to, to, to go out on the, on the wing and uh, and do a, do, a, do a job there for us. You know, like, but, you know, ironically, you know, his talk of him going to Bristol City, you know, he, he could be a, he could be a Bristol City player as, as we yeah. speak. So, Bristol City seen favourites with Holt City, so, Battle of Two Cities to, uh, to sign Andre Gray. The fee, as we've just mentioned, could rise to uh, just a staggering £9 million. Um, it, you know, Brent, I think Brentford's sale button is seven. Um, it seems to have gone beyond that. Um, and, you know, obviously once a player or once an agent or well, once it's decided they, they're going to go, it's all about getting as much money as, as humanly possible for, for Brentford. Obviously, we, we, the, m- the more money we get in, the more money we can, um, we can spend on the replacements. Because obviously, that's that's what we, that's the, that's the stage we move to now. If we haven't got Andre Gray in our team, we need to find someone that's like for like, if possible, to, to, to replace him. £9 million, pounds, Mr. Allard. £9 million pounds is um, a proper King's ransom. Uh, it's, just tell me.
5: It's, it's an insane amount of money. Um, Andre Gray's got three things, I think, that puts, you know, maybe gets it to nine million or it, it does in today's market. Um, he's got pace and he's got strength, and that's two things that, you know, don't necessarily come together for for everybody. Um, and and he and I think he's English. I just think that English players command double. To maybe what a, what an equivalent from Europe would would cost you? Um, if, if not, if you could if find not money, treble. find yeah. a treble. I mean, um, yeah, I, I, it seems like a crazy amount of money to turn around, but to turn down, sorry. Um, he and I said this last week. He's, he'll be hard to replace. So it'll, it'll be very difficult to find another Andre Gray. Um, I think you know there are other options. There's other ways of playing, as we've seen from Hoffman, who's who's probably the opposite to Andre Gray. Um, uh, but to find another one of those with that sort of he's, he's, it's that rawness isn't it that he's got? Um, I think um, you know he's, he's, he's maybe a late developer. We'll see how how much, how much he carries on developing uh, but yeah, you know, I, I, how can you turn it down? Can you turn it down? Can anyone make an argument to turn I'd that well down? Uh, this,
3: this is my question right to, the, to th- the three of you, my next question is, would you rather be selling Andre Gray? For
4: eight or nine million,
3: or buying Andre Gray for eight or nine million,
4: I think if we're going to be a club that pays eight or nine million pounds for a player like Andre Gray, Matthew Benham will have lost all his senses. Mm-hmm. It, it is a ridiculous yeah. sum of money, yeah. um, and I think it it just runs hammer and tongs um, through the financial fair play regulations. It is just a stupid amount of money. The Bristol City or Hull want to pay for it um, both owned by multi-billionaire owners you know who are prepared to chuck money at trying to buy success and you know Andre gray he's a good player but he's not he's not gonna he's not he's not the next England number nine he's not Roy Hodgson isn't going to draft him into the England squad in September and say go and get us to the European Championships or even go and get us to the World Cup in 2018. Um, you know, he's, he's not that, that type of player. And I think until we recognise that what Matthew Benham has done is actually made an 1800% profit... On Andre Gray as well and that actually shows that the style of club that Brentford is and I'm far more comfortable and people will say oh you're in Matty Benham's pocket on this but I'm far more comfortable being with a club. Disciple. No 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 I'm far more comfortable being a club which is realistic about you know football and and paying and what it will pay for players and what it will pay in wages than the type of Bristol City who Think that throwing money will buy automatic success. Well, I, the, the one thing I do feel sorry for Andre Gray is that you know, if he does go to Bristol, what we saw on Saturday, I think that Andre could be struggling in a promotion, in a relegation battle um, this season Good with him, Bristol. At least with Brentford, he would be struggling in a in a mid to top table championship team. The Dutchman. Yes. There's still fans
3: out there. Who think this is a ne- hugely negative step for Brentford? I mean, we can't. You know, we we have to, we can't just write them off. We have we have to look at this in a, in a balanced way. You know, they feel that this is another sign of us being a selling club, but surely nine million pounds, or even if it's seven million pounds, seven, eight, or nine million pounds is a fee that is so disproportionate compared to what we paid for him that. We'd need to be would be ludicrous just to just to, to just to reject it.
1: Yeah, of the disciples, I'm not going to be the one that's Judas It's a ridiculous amount of money, and it's going to potentially impact on pricing for other players throughout the league. If people look at that as a benchmark of what you can get for a, a, a player who had one very good season for us, um, yeah, up and down season but very good overall, and to go for that sort of money is just really beyond belief. And would I rather keep Andre Gray? Yes. Would I rather be buying or selling for that price? If our team was buying Andre Gray for nine million pound, I'd be very, very concerned about the finance of the club and where it was going because it is just an extortionate amount of money. Will he become the next Ian Wright? Will he become a late developing player that comes through? Who knows? But you know, sometimes some players suit certain clubs and certain styles of play. And Gray found the team last year. Probably, you know, more by luck than judgement, where he fell into position up front, playing on his own. He got you know, forty-plus games under his belt when he probably realistically only expected to start twenty-something. You know, with injuries and the rest of the things, to Hogan. Um, you know, that that worked out for him, and things fell into place, and he he, he is where he is now. And good luck to the lad. But you, know, you could see a situation where it doesn't work out quite so well somewhere else. So. Dan, yeah,
4: can, long sorry, long. can I just? say two things one about the nine million pounds is that if we found a club that wants to pay nine million pounds for Andre Gray Andre Gray obviously isn't going to turn down that because he's on a percentage of that figure as well and you know good, good luck to him for that and also presumably Bristol or Hull are offering in much higher wages and the one thing that does worry me in, in all this is that um, you can Go, you can say, a, a club can say, you know, put a valuation of £9 million on Grey on thinking that no club's going to meet that, um, plus, plus the wages. But if somebody like Bristol or Hull have come in and on offered to double, treble, even quadruple the weekly wage that Andre Grey is on, it does make you wonder whether Brentford has got to look at its wage structure or its performance bonus structure in some way are we able to compete with some of the other clubs in the championship?
6: Yeah, no,
3: it's really, it's really interesting how, how this evolves, how, how we, um, you know, we, we evolve as a championship team, and how you know the success in the transfer market may may end up shooting us in the foot because you know fat, uh, other other clubs know that we've got this money in, in the in the kitty, the players that we come in for, they know that we're going to sell them on, so the prices go up. You know, Dan, how's this going to pan out, Dan?
0: Oh, thanks for that question. <laughs> <laughs> the old crystal ball now. Um, just, just um, go back on a couple of things actually, because um, Nick's mentioned obviously about the signing, um, the actual wages or whatever. Um, I just want to point out that a club can actually offer lower wages, but offer a very, very high signing on fee um, in lieu of um, uh, high wages. So, and don't forget, the, it's the agent who actually takes the cut um, or the signing on fee. Um, I've got to say that uh, Andre Gray's uh, agent, whoever he is, is an extraordinary fellow. Um, He's done an incredible job. Um, There are two types of agents. There are those who literally will line their pockets um, uh, and uh, try and move their players on as regularly as they possibly can. Um, And there are some who actually have the players' interests at heart and will advise them on the best career move. Does Bristol City have the right midfield? Um, Do they play in the right way for Andre Gray to score goals? Because he's a particular type of striker. Um, but I think his agent's been saying, Andre Gray, you're amazing, um, you are the best thing that's ever happened, you're going to play for England one day, um, it doesn't matter what club you go to, um, you've got uh, uh, a new car to buy, um, you've got probably... New watch, new watch. New watch, yeah, of as, course. As has the agent. Um, and, uh, uh, and I think that's basically mm. what happened. I mean, I, I, I don't want to criticise footballers, but um, um, because they make an awful lot of sacrifices when they're younger to actually forfeit their education. Um, and I think that Andre Gray as a result um, uh, uh, has perhaps uh, been influenced and seduced uh, by his agent well yeah although the colliery of that is the fact that you've got a very short time as a footballer
4: Absolutely. you've got to maximise your revenue, you've got to maximise your earnings in the, in the short time that you have. But and, do you you know, think if you've got money being dangled in front of you in that way, you, you've got to look at it and say, right, OK, I'm going to take it because this can set me up for life. But well, I'd like to ask you,
0: um, in that case then, name me one country uh, where uh, players who have spent one year out of non-league can command that kind of uh, transfer fee, Salary, signing there, well, The answer is there is none. There, there, none. there, is, there is none, none. but that's what, that's, that's what makes British
4: football. Well, we, we, look,
0: we, that's we, what makes English
3: football. We, we, we exactly. are not going to be able to solve that little conundrum no, tonight. Exactly. But what, we, what, what, we can, what we can solve is what's right in front of us at the moment. Matt, how many players can we sell before we are looking at a bit of a
5: crisis? <clears throat> we, we um, yeah... I think we're probably one, maybe two away. It does—it it does depend on what we can bring in quite quickly. But there's that big sort of issue. You know, it's nice to get players together for pre-season, get them playing together. And it's—and I don't think it suits that the business is being done now rather than June or rather than in June or July. Um, I think if Gray went, there's options to play. I mean, I guess you then look at Hoffman playing. I mean, Hoffman's going to play for the middle anyway. Gray actually played right and then left side on on Saturday so VBay fits in as a replacement there he doesn't have the pace I get of grey but he scored goals so I think you know that that's the short term solution doesn't pace yeah. Do you no, not from think? From what I've heard, he's the
0: fastest in training. Is he? Yeah, okay. Well, I've, I've not. I've yet to see it on the. part he the oh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, He looks quick to me. Yeah,
5: I think. Gray's explosive over True. ten or fifteen he's really, yards. He's the best in the wheelbarrow
0: race as well.
5: He's stronger. Yeah, yeah. But but I think I think that's the solution um there. I think if we're going to talk about the other player that we hear news about, Tarkowski. Um, can we drop down to three centre backs? I think that's a really I think that's a dangerous game to play unless we've got immediate replacements.
3: There's pretty much two weeks of this window
5: still I, I, I still worry that there's a rabbit going to be pulled out of the bag, like someone's going to come in for butter or something, and we're going to be going. Well, well you, do, do, do you do know, you, know what I mean? Probably, it's probably the
3: only time you doing doing Yotta states. injured. Yeah, is yeah, naturally. I don't think he's injured, I, I don't
1: believe he's injured at all. I think, <laughs> I think <laughs> just a, he'll, he'll be more fit again in a couple of weeks' time. Get fit soon, get fit soon, Yotta. Yelling yeah McLeod and all the others, I think. But the one thing we haven't talked about is you know th- there's also the loan window ready to open and you know I'd be staggered if we don't have some serious input there. I mean that's always a last minute thing to get those players lined up and you would assume that there's one or two you know, we're we're a serious club now with some serious pretensions to, to grandeur and all the rest of it. You know, we're in a better position than we said we were last year and we got some good names last year. You know, I would expect this to be a fairly attractive proposition for some some decent players and
4: I'd like to see that happen. The only question I have about the loan market is that are there going to be some clubs reluctant to, to loan to us until they understand what it is that Dijkhausen and the, the club are trying to achieve. Whether we would get Pritchard again, don't know. Well, no one's going to lend
3: anyone to us at the moment because at the, this very second we haven't got a pitch. So um, <laughs> the, apparently the pitch is up, the grass is up, we've been grassed up and uh, the grass hasn't gone down again. To- So we're going to come back in a second and we're going to talk about a very serious point about success being a drug. So one of the things that we've been discovering over the last few weeks is just how um, divisive the the threat of losing players can be. Um, And in the second season that we've, we've, you know, we're in the championship um, for some of us, it's still a mighty adventure after 40 years of being in the lower reaches apart from one, one brief season. For others, um, the benchmark has been raised so high that it seems to be this rabid... Um, uh, it's just, just a huge pressure that we, we, have to, we have to be big, we have to be massive. Dan, um, I spoke to you during the halftime break of the Oxford game and you said something to me that really, really did ring true. You said that success is a drug and there are some fans that need this drug and crave this drug more than others. And you, you explained it in such a way. Try and do that again, mate.
0: Yeah, I mean, what the point I was trying to make um, is that I'm very forgiving of the way fans are reacting at the moment. Um The the facts are is that success is like a drug, we've been incredibly successful over the last three seasons. Um, And the moment that you feel like it's going to be taken away from you, um, people will react in different ways. Um, There are the fans who are very rational about it and can uh, um, uh, put everything into perspective, um, see the bigger picture, as they say. Um, But uh, there are also a very large number of fans who feel, well, hang on a minute, we've been so successful for the last three seasons that potentially might not happen this season, Um, what the hell is going on? And you start, not panicking, I think that's the wrong word to use, but um, the the, the rational thoughts don't become quite as um, uh, uh, clear at that time. And so it's natural for me, um, in the same way that if you take away heroin from a a drug addict, um, then they would act in very irrational uh, manners. So I think that was the point I was trying to make. Um, I think that we need to be um, united as a fan base. Uh, I think that we need to try and promote more of a siege mentality Uh, and remember that there are are times where you have to take a step backwards to go two steps forwards. Um, This is the step backwards, in my opinion. This is about galvanisation. And we, um, as the fans, need to unite with the players and the management, Um, kind of put our arms around each other and stick two fingers up to the rest of the world. So, Dutchman, you know, we're saying success is
3: a
1: drug. What's your favourite drug? Um, Success, I guess, is the easy answer, isn't it? Um, Nick, your favourite drug?
3: Grass, if we had any. Well, we we haven't got any grass anymore. It's been been taken up. I'm smoking sand these days. But no, 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 serious point, though, Dutch. You know, we've had, you know, several years now where, obviously, there was some... Some lows and some highs. There was a massive low at the end of a, a very good season where we didn't go up and we lost to the playoffs against Yeovil. Where we're at now, and this isn't at all about buying into anything, where we're at now is a way better place than what we've ever been.
1: It's, it's a good place to be, and to extend Dan's very accurate uh, analogy of things. I think part of it is not just about losing, it's, it's the fear of losing it as much as losing it so you know people now are worried about what might happen the reality is we we were after no more puns a level playing field on Saturday after we played the same number of games we were third place you know and as we worked out yesterday had we played last night ifs and buts had we played last night and won we would be top of the championship after three games so you know people are scared of what may happen that's not necessarily what is happening of course it is we don't know where it's going to go and we're all scared we all have conversations you know most of them off, off podcasts where you discuss your fears and you know worries about what may happen but also there's equally there's the excitement about what may happen in a positive way you know so you, you look at what the downside could be but we, sh- we also need to look at what the upside should be I'm, I'm not one that thinks either I, I don't know yet I'm excited with the journey we're in a good place as you say and you know, so far. We're we're doing okay. Let's 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 see where we go. Nick, we're the only motivation I have is that you have
4: to seize the moment. Um, and Carp you know, DM you, Carp DM. And if you let that moment go, can you ever get it back? Um, we all remember, you know, the first time, our first kiss. You know, can you ever recreate that? Can we ever recreate the joy and the jubilation we felt about watching our team? You, you know, wait. Even first, you
3: wait. You wait to your first shag.
4: Well, I, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm, a virgin, I'm a virgin when it comes to promotion because I was out of the country the last time that, 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 that well, um, no, I won. No, on your second kiss. The se- yeah, that's right, yeah, let's not go down this route. Let's not go down this route, just in case my wife right, some extraordinary chance happens to happens upon this podcast. But there is a worry is that you know there we were we were fifth in the championship last year we had everything going right for us Um, we had a good set of players and what's happened is we've thrown everything up in the air and rightly or wrongly we are still waiting for the balls to land and hopefully they'll land in the right direction but I think you've got to understand Dan is there'll be some fans who you know do see the downside of all this and what and you know we won't know until the end of the season how it will end up. Don't. But I do understand some of their trepidation, even if I may not agree with all of
3: them. I think we all do. But, you know, I, I also think there's a, it's, it's mixed with... there are. I feel there are some fans that are, are kind of almost hoping... The experiment fails in in some sort of scuzzy logic. I don't I don't understand why they would want harm on on our football club. But I do feel that there's some of it there, there is
5: an there is an anti movement too. What do you think about this? I think there's all sorts of streams here because I think there's people that there's actually people that will see mid table as being a failure this season. Um, because because yeah, well, that's just stupid. because because but, but I think but I think because oh. the the success of last season bred this idea that we're ripe to. Go up, and suddenly they're thinking, "I don't want to support a mid-table team. I'm expecting to be supporting a, ta- a team that are on their way up." Um, I think there's people like you say that, are, that are, you have, this, have this sort of agenda. Com- I don't know if it's an agenda. It's they want to maybe be proved right that that actually, you know, we made a massive mistake. Um, and I think we all agree it was a short-term bad move, you know, losing Warburton, but. But, but they, they want to be proved right about that in terms of it being a really bad long term um, move. But actually, for me, what it's really about is sustainability um, and being able to sustain any success we have on the pitch at moving forwards. Because, you know, I, I, I've just quickly thought of three teams Portsmouth, Leeds, Bradford, all that have had their own levels of success that they may not have dreamt of um, and have dropped below that. Way below that level for Portsmouth from Bradford, and I'm and I'm pretty certain for Leeds as well, where their supporters expect them to be, and um and that's what I'm scared. That, that's the only bit I'm scared of. So I, so so actually, I'm not scared of having a bad season this season, or may or an average season this season, an average season next season. I just want it to be sustainable, so we don't, you know, become that sort of stone that drops.
3: Stone that drops. But I, I, I can't tolerate being the, the the fact that a, a being positive can be a negative. I just, I, just, I just can't I can't tolerate that at the moment.
0: Yeah, I want to say something on that because um, and and this is going to sound a bit harsh because as I said, you know, I, I fully accept that everybody's entitled to their opinions, um, and uh, but for me, I'm either a supporter or, or I'm a customer, um, and frankly speaking, I'm a supporter. I support us through any league that we're in. Um, the success is. Of course, it is fantastic, you know, as I said, it's like a drug to myself as well. I love it, absolutely love it. Uh, being able to take the mick out of Fulham last season was probably one of the highlights of my um, entire uh, career watching um, uh, uh, watching Brentford. But the fact of the matter is, is that I will take the rough with the smooth, um, so no, I'll I, 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 I tell you why I'm behind it because our owner's got a vision and he's one of the very few owners um, out there in the footballing world, that genuinely has a vision and a strategy. Yeah, and and it's just, and it's just a sustainable vision, isn't it? Correct. It's not about
5: doing something short term that will come back and haunt us. I like I like your analogy of the
4: clubs because actually the one that springs to mind, in, is, who really sunk right down to the bottom, was Swansea. Yeah. And I like to think actually is that if we can model ourselves on the Swansea model, coming then back. we're c- coming back up. Yeah, 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 yeah. Then we can have a really successful time looking forward ahead. But but if you are a fan of a football club, you're not rational. Supporting (laughs) supporting a football club is not a rational decision. If you were a rational football fan, you would actually only ever go and watch Manchester United or Chelsea or you know to see teams at the top of the league. We're, we are all irrational sitting around this table because we support a football team that has its highs and has its lows. Um, um, hopefully, we'll have more highs than lows in the next few years.
1: I think, for me, the point is that we, we, we haven't failed, so your personal opinions as to whether you think things should change or shouldn't change is almost irrelevant. You know, do I want? Did I want Warburton to go? No, I wanted Warburton to stay, but the fact is he's gone, so I, I can even sit here bleating about whether he should have stayed or gone, but he's not here, so like the others, my... my love is for my club and my fellow fans and my friends and the enjoyment I get from it. So I'll be behind whoever's in charge and whoever's running it. And I think it's a strange position that we find ourselves in we're at a you know most successful for most of the years us been supporting it and it's a time when people seem to be voicing Concerns about what may happen, as opposed to what is happening.
3: I, I, I think you're right. There, there is a certain amount of buy-in buying. Um, what I do find slightly strange, you know, there, there is a, you know, an absolutely brilliant uh, documentary that is, is on Besotted.co.uk. Is a link to the Cope '90 um, documentary, which is um, Money Vault to Mittelann, which explains uh, Matthew Benham and the um, the combination between uh, Mittelann and Brentford, and the, you know, how how you know what what this statistic analysis is and then there's people that consider themselves opinion formers that then, then post that they don't actually understand the documentary and then they're, they're criticising, um, the, you know, the, the, the regime or the, the, the owners of the club. So, you know, I, I think sometimes you need to kind of, may, may, maybe before you start criticising something, at least at
4: least understand what it is you're criticising. I think, again, you're being harsh, Dave. You're being harsh because it, you're, you're expecting people to be rational about their football club. And there is nothing rational about being a fan of a football club. I go back to my point, you are always going to be passionate, you are going to support it through thick and thin, you are going to do whatever you know it takes, you will defend it from all comers, but you have got to at the same time question. The one good thing, though, is the owner of our club is a long-term, 30-year-plus fan. How many, how many owners of football clubs have actually supported, still on the terraces, fought for their club as Matthew Benham has?
5: I, I think there's people out there that would be happier if we had foreign investment for our money at the club in the short term. Without thinking what the long term... Without thinking what the long term... You're
3: right, it could be worse. Look what um, Reading Football Club's uh, new owners did on Saturday. They, or Sunday, sorry, they unleashed this woeful song. So... um, careful what you wish for. I think I'm not saying I wish for it. I think there are people. <laughs> no, abiding, no but I don't okay. think would be more. I really don't. I really, don't, I really don't think there's any Brentford fans that would wish for that. So not
5: know.
3: that, maybe no. We'll come back. We continue after this. So moving on to the weekend, um, Burnley away, relegated Burnley just come down from the Premier League. It's going to be another tough game. There aren't no any. There is no easy game at this level. Um, Jamie Smith. Who um, is part of the uh, podcast No Say Never? Um, he spoke to Bill Grant. You remember Bill? Um, he's still not here, um, but he's back. He's going to be back this time next week, or oh, if it's not this time next week, it'd be the week after. So vagueness as always. Um, but uh, Jamie, how do you think this Saturday is going to pan out?
6: So weekend's approaching again. Got a big game on Saturday. Up north we go, up to Burnley. First time we played this team for, oh, years. Last time was when Paul Evans, I think, scored that goal from 40-odd yards. Lots of Bees fans getting very excited to make the journey up there. We thought we'd find out exactly what's going on in the Burnley camp. So we thought we'd give a call to Jamie Smith from No Name Never, the Burnley podcast. Jamie, how are you doing? Yeah, good, thanks. It's a big game of broaching, and I think it's fair to say your season hasn't gone quite according to plan. You've had draws with Leeds and Birmingham and losses to Ipswich plus Port Vale in the Cup. Are you coming to struggle to come to terms with the Championship?
8: I think there's there's probably a bit of a hangover from from last season. You see quite often that, that when teams come down from the Premier League, it's difficult to, to adjust really back to the Championship. It's obviously a very different sort of league. You're playing twice a week very often you don't tend to do that in the Premier League so obviously the tempo is a bit different it's maybe a bit more physical also i think it's just when you've when you've been losing most weeks to then go into games where you you may be the favorites more often than not it's difficult um Ch dash has talked about it as being a scout for other teams i'm not really sure about that but undoubtedly, we've been in the, the Premier League twice in the last five or six years, so some clubs will see us as, as a as a bigger club now, even though we've traditionally maybe a bit smaller. So yeah, it's been difficult. I think the fixtures haven't been particularly kind either. A couple of decisions have gone against us. We could have been slightly better off than we are, but yeah, it's, it's been tough and we, we're not scoring enough goals and I think we've fallen behind in all four games so far, so that's obviously a concern. We're not defending well and we're not attacking well either. You've got our
6: last season's director of football, Frank of as your director of football. Brentford decided to move on, pull in a new team post-Warburton and Frank departed the Bees. But he got a bit of a coup because he managed to wrestle one player that we were trying to sign close season, that striker Chris Long. In the end, you ended up giving him a better deal than we did. Ask Chris, because I've noticed he hasn't played as yet. Are there any other players he's also bought in?
8: Yeah, that was a strange one, because there was some there was some talk, certainly at our end, about um, a non-compete clause, which seemed particularly... I know that's that's fairly standard at times, but since you wanted to get rid of McParland, I thought it was a bit rich to then say, you can't try and sign any of our players, or even someone who was on loan last season. It was all a bit bizarre. Um Yeah, Chris Long sounds like a good one. Everton fans, by all accounts, were pretty upset to lose him. I think the concern is that because the deal was done quite late in the summer, he doesn't seem to have had a pre-season. He said he was just training with his mates, which is obviously less than ideal. There's been a bit of talk that he's not in the best possible condition. I think that's fair to say. Some also whispers that he might go out on loan. So certainly not one that we expect to make an immediate impact. He seems to be a couple of weeks behind at least the rest of the lads. But yeah, and tough to have got him. He seems to have some pace, which we certainly lack. And I know he scored against Rovers last season, which was immediately endearing to some of our players. Uh, um, very good, very others, good goal as well. Yeah, I've seen it on YouTube a few times, actually. So hopefully he can do that again this season. Um, as far as other transfer dealings go, it's been a bit of a mixed bag, really. Uh, the club's been working hard on putting together a European scouting network because we've not really had one. We signed a couple of strikers, Yella Vossen, who was on one at Middlesbrough last season, and a guy called Ruan Hennings, who was top-scoring in Bundesliga 2 last season. Um, not seen too much of either of those yet. The concern is that the, the key players that we lost, Jason Shackle, Kieran Trippier and Danny Ings, not really been replaced yet. So three of our best players have gone, plus Dean Marnie is out injured. He's our midfield in, engine, so... We're without maybe four or five players that were really important players for the last two years. So there's a, there's a, still a lot of work to do in the transfer market, and McParland's influence. I think it's going to come to the fore in the next couple of weeks before the window closes. The one player that we have been linked with heavily is Henry Lansbury from Forest, their captain. But that deal's been dragging on for the last two or three transfer windows. I think uh, we just want some sort of conclusion on that whether whether he goes somewhere else or stays. Everyone's just a bit sick of hearing about that. We want it to be over. Uh,
6: I've just got a gut reaction. This is my personal feeling as well. (laughs) Stranger things have happened in football, but it wouldn't surprise me if he actually ended up at Brentford on loan. I mean, you talk about the non-compete clause, but you ended up getting long. Um, He's obviously down your pecking order a bit, and it just wouldn't surprise me if maybe he might actually end up at Griffin Park. But that's just my madness anyway. Possibly, especially if you're going to lose Gray. You're going to need a striker. Talking about Andre Gray as well, And we're talking about strikers. I mean, you know about losing one of your top, top strikers. You've got Ings. You know, he went for a lot of money. Andre Gray, we're going to talk about, you know, this weekend. It's probably a good time that you're playing us. And in a way, we're playing you because we probably will be without our top striker, Andre Gray. £9 million. Has that shocked
8: you? A bit, but then nothing really shocks me about transfer fees these days. There's a lot of talk. In Burnley fan circles last summer about Ross McCormack, you remember he went to Fulham for I think it was eleven million, and the word was basically that that distorted the market and made it impossible to sign players on unreasonable fees, and that meant that we couldn't get strikers in, and we were a Premier League club. It was just a bit insane. Gray's a funny one. I know someone, uh, James, who works on our podcast. He used to live in Luton, saw him play for Luton a few years ago, and said he was a cart horse. And he seems to have turned into a different player since then. I think it's always a risk when you've got someone who's only had one season at a level. It could be a one season wonder. But yeah, he seems to he's obviously got a lot of talent. He's quick and powerful. I think that very good attributes. Scored a lot of goals last season. But yeah, the fees, they're just insane. Ipswich turned down a lot of money for Daryl Murphy. He's never been a ten goal a season man until last year and Teams are offering 7 eight million for him, I think. It's, it's frightening stuff, but that's that's the way the game seems to be going. And I don't think it's any surprise that we've looked to the European market where players are a bit cheaper. I think we've spent a couple of million like, each on Boston and Hennings. And if they'd been playing in the Championship for the last couple of years, goodness knows what prices they'd have been after.
6: Again, it's the same thing with us. I mean, people laugh about our approach we're taking with football. We've had to look to the European market because we just find the UK market's too expensive. Andre Gray came from Luton for 500 grand. We sent him a year later for £9 million. We can't afford to buy players for £9 million, so we've had to change our approach. But this weekend, anyway, how do you think you'll get on? Do you think you'll be able to turn things around?
8: I'm not sure, really. I think we we get into the stage where we do need a result. It's too early to talk about pressure on Daj, but friends of mine who don't support Burnley have already started asking how how long are you going to be patient and need to get results, and questions about the transfers so perhaps not internally at the club or among the fan base but a bit of pressure from outside on Dash starting to come in you always, if you want to do well, you need to get results at home Brentford we obviously see as someone who's going to be top six contenders I would think depending on how you replace Gray I think it should be a probably going to be a tight game with like I so say, we've conceded first in all four games this season. We can't afford to be doing that. We can't be chasing games every week. But there's not that much in the squad to change things up. So I mean, it's going to be tricky. I think we'll try and keep it tight. But I'm not sure what to expect, really. I'm fearing the worst, to be honest. So score prediction? A score draw, maybe. We drew the first couple of games. So maybe a one all A one all draw
6: from yourself. I'll take the one all draw myself. And last thing, Beast fans travelling up there. Many of them have never been to Burnley. Can you suggest, you know, two or, one or two drinking places that they can go pre-match?
8: Yeah, if you're coming on the train, there's a good pub near the station called the Inn on the Wharf. That's away from friendly. You'll be fine in there. Um, and if you're driving, the best place to park is probably at the cricket club, which is directly adjacent to the ground. And there's a bar in there that's away from friendly as well. So those two places are.
6: Jamie, great chatting to you, mate. You know, big game on the Saturday. Hopefully, we'll maybe chat to you after the game. At the weekend.
8: Yeah, no worries. Best of luck for the rest of the season, although not too much for the weekend, obviously. Best of
6: luck. Just Jamie from No Nay Never, the Burnley podcast. Nice one.
3: Well, there you have it. I won't tell you what we were just talking about. Um we're on to Burnley. Burnley away. Um doesn't sound very glamorous, but it is actually quite a good big game for us, isn't it? Um they've just come down from the Premier League as we've just spoken about. Um They've got high expectations. They've got their parachute payments. They have got some very good players. We don't go down. We don't go up there. Sorry, up to Lancashire. Um, really full of too much confidence. I, I think. I think we can go there and hope not to
0: lose. Are, are we going there to win, Dan? Um, I'll always say that because uh, I'm an eternal optimist. That. Uh, uh, we're going up there to win. I think uh, we can nick it. Um, I think that um, what with Marinus and the uh, team at the moment, I think they're working, they'll be working really, really hard to improve their performances and I think that they will realise that the defence looked really poor um, against uh, Bristol City. Um so for me I'm I'm reasonably confident that we'll go up there and I think there's a lot of confidence they'll gain from the Bristol guys. I say that
3: being I say that being a realist we we have got we've got injury concerns and we've got transfer concerns. Dutchman, can we go to Burnley with these injury problems and these potentially not having an Andre Gray problems and do a job?
1: Yes, why not? I think the point to remember is our starting 11 is still pretty strong compared to what we've been previously. You know, is there strength in depth? The subs bench starts to look a little bit bare, but you know, it's a pretty decent starting 11, guys. It's it, it's not a bad one. I am looking forward one day to playing a team that hasn't been linked with Andre Gray. I'm sure that will happen at some point. But, <coughs> <laughs> you know, but, do, do we still have, time.
4: <laughs> there's still time. Ginger gin nut gin could be in for it. <laughs>
1: the reality yeah, yeah. is our start eleven still stands comparison with most Brentford teams of the past and most Championship teams of the present. We'll go there, it's, of course it's going to be tough, they're a big team, big money, but uh, as always, like Dan, the optimist, we will come away with at least half a smile. Burnley.
5: Um, I can make an argument this is a good time to be playing them. They seem to be... You know, well, they've not won. That, exactly, yeah, there that, that could be a bad time to be playing them because you might get, uh, you know, uh, it's so difficult, isn't it? But I- I'm going to make the argument it's a good time to be playing them. Um, I think there's probably a bit of trepidation there. They're probably expected to um, have a slightly easier return to the championship than they have had. So, um, yeah, I-, I think we go up there and we take it to them. Um, I-, I think it's important, actually. You get the first goal and um, I think the atmosphere there could become quite, you know, could be quite anti what's, you know, the, their own team. Um, I think their supporters are probably scratching their heads, probably far more than got, we are. We're all sitting here a little bit Yeah, they got, got <laughs> and and they I got imagine, hit, like, they got an infestation. Yeah, something like that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, um, I'd be interested to see you right back, Colin. Colin! But we do, um, to be fair, we do, we, we do try and, we do try and we know, go Colin. with some of these players. We, we love Colin. Colin. Colin's Colin. Colin. Um, we can. We, we did talk
3: about this very briefly yeah. on, on the old uh, on the old Twitter sphere. We can't think of many other Brentford player Collins apart from Colin Lee. Can anyone think of another Colin?
5: We No one, one can you know, think of another think Colin. Uh, yeah, so if you if you can if, if you
3: can think of another cool. Colin that's ever played for Brentford, then well done. <laughs> <That's>, uh, <laughs> because we can't. Um, not that we're anywhere. We're not Knowles um, at all. Um, yeah, but so so Burnley's start to life back in uh, the second tier. It hasn't been brilliant. Draw against Leeds, draw against Birmingham, and they lost at uh, Ipswich mid well, midweek Tuesday night. So they'll, they'll be looking to to get their season up and running. You know, we we can go there, and I think we can be like. You know, obviously, we're going to prepare to win. You know, we don't go—we don't go anywhere anymore, um, expecting to draw. But I, you know, I, I personally think if we can come away with a point from from Burnley, that will be—that uh, will be a good—be a good uh, good return. Uh, Nick, it's a very early start on Saturday.
4: Yeah, it's good, isn't it? It's a, it's a first long, really long distance. The season, away day. Is, properly the season is properly underway, you know. Because I'm missing Leeds and missing Middlesbrough, I'm going to make the most of the. I'm, I'm going to make the most of the Burnley. We on, can't invite on you on if, when you're not there on Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> um, That's my job, but <laughs> yeah, comment from a comment from afar. Um, okay, I, I think that Burnley. I think Burnley are going to have to are still finding their feet in the Championship. Championship football is different from Premiership football. Um, we are more used to the the, the, pre, the Championship style. Perhaps perhaps Burnley are going to have to take another month or so to find their find their feet back in the Championship. They'll be up. There they'll be up the top of the division come the end of the season but it'll take them possibly a little while to to readjust to what life is in the championship I'm pretty confident that we can at least come away from there with a draw give me a score Uh, 2-1 Brentford
3: Mr Dutchman give me a score
1: Um, well I'm I'm not sure they will at the top end Um, and just to clarify it's not actually an early start listeners it's a three o'clock start these guys are just starting early but the
4: well, it takes uh, a while to get there It's an <laughs> the early start on the train. It's yeah. no, it's, it's, it's no start. It you know, we don't live just yeah. around the corner. No, it's not an early
3: start if you're not going. Well, we haven't changed. Yeah,
4: yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a normal start. Remember, it's we've got to put, put our on got a home court. base. It's just a normal start. Yeah. We've got our flat cap on and walk our whip it before. You know, yeah. <laughs> I urge
1: you into that. Um, I will go for a dull and dire but very satisfactory nil-nil draw. Morning, Morning.
0: Um, it will be. Um, sorry, I think it's complete opposite. I think it's going to be um, uh, an absolute ding dong of a game. Um, I'm going for a four-three Brentford win. Ooh. Bloody hell! Jesus Christ! Dang! <laughs>
3: <laughs> Honestly, I'm not sure we can cope with that. We invited you on for some like calmness, not even <laughs> not so he he balance, he a not even Four, Not
5: even Billy. Four-three away win. what I'll did you say to that, Alard? Um, I'm going back the opposite way. I'm thinking early We're goal from four Brentford. Not 3 them. No, no, early goal from Brentford. Natives
3: get wrestlers. We hang on. 1-0 Brentford. I'm going for... I'm going to edge my bets here. I, I'm really, I'll be delighted to come home with a draw. Uh, I think we can win. Um, yeah, you're right. It's a good time to play them. Uh, let's have it. 2-1 Brentford. So there you have it. That's another podcast under our belts. Um, don't forget that we are prolific on Twitter. ...at Besotted... Um, ...YouTube... ...all our videos are stored... ...at Besotted 1992... ...and of course... uh, ...we are a website... ...and we are at besotted.co.uk... ...Next week... ...we all know a little bit more... ...whether Andre Gray is still here... ...whether he's still a Brentford player... ...whether he started on Saturday... ...whether we didn't risk him... All, ...all of this will be played out in the next 24, 48 hours... ...so... ...basically... As always, come on, you bees.
8: Y-
2: Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with Muck Delivery.